And so consider, uh, consider this prayer. This is a, not only for this year, but just in general. This is giving us wisdom on how to live in God's world as those who, who are, are, mortal, are mortal, who are temporary. So let's, let's read it, and we'll, we'll talk about it. It's immensely comforting, even as it is sobering. So let us read God's word, Psalm 90. It says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place before all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, return, O children of man. For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like the grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us. For as many years as we, as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. And this is God's word spoken to us today. It is true and trustworthy and spoken in love. Let's pray. Our Father, you are our, our eternal home, and we ask that as we meditate on this passage together that you would well, satisfy our thirsty souls with your steadfast love, which never changes from day to day, that you would give us confidence, that you would give us courage, that you would heal our anxieties as we see that you are with us wherever we may go. Give us eyes to see your work, to see Jesus that we might leave rejoicing in the grace we have been given. And we ask in his name, uh, Jesus Christ, the Son who became like us, so that we might become like him. And we say this, and all God's people said, Amen. So I read this story the other day as a great illustration of how we process our mortality. That on the way, way home from the doctor, uh, Walt w was terrified. He was panicking. He was freaking out. He had already been diagnosed with cancer, and he had just found out from his doctor that his only hope was a $90,000 experimental treatment. Right? It's a bad news day. We all have them. 
$90,000 is way more than a high school chemistry teacher's salary. And so as he's driving home, and you know the feeling when you get blindsided by bad news as your head's spinning and you're frustrated and angry, he pulls into this gas station, his mind's swirling with thoughts of his mortality, and that's when a BMW cut him off. The license plate read, Ken wins. And at that moment, something inside of Walt snapped. When winning Ken went inside to pay for his gas, <laughs> Walt walks over his BMW, pops the hood, grabs the squeegee, does some kind of science magic with uh, the battery terminals. Poof, when a within a moment, Ken wins as a fireball. And so begins the rage of Walter White against his own mortality, which coincidentally is the, the plot of the TV show Breaking Bad. <laughs> um, not endorsing the show, of course, but right, but it, it's, it's such a helpful human response, which is when you are told or, I would say, experiencing for the first time, I'm not going to live forever, you get angry. Right? It's that famous poem, rage, rage against the dying of the light. Do not go gentle into that good night, into the night. And so when you come to Moses' prayer, what's striking is how he processes the, the transience of life. He's not angry. He doesn't seem bitter. Um, he doesn't even seem envious of others. There, there's, a, there's a gratitude. There's a joy. Um, He's saying, God, help me rejoice for the years I've seen, even though some of the things I've seen haven't been pretty. I've seen evil. I've seen bad stuff. Right? Evil is not just people doing bad things. It's also harm. It's suffering. It's affliction. And so, as we are living in this bizarre year, this, this 2020, a lot of bad stuff has happened and continues to happen. How are you holding up? How are you dealing with your mortality? Or even as you heard this prayer, especially that stretch from verse 3 to verse 11, uh, what was your guttural response? Think Moses sounds depressed? Or maybe you have that question, why bother thinking about it? I'd just rather not think about it until I have to. And yet what's astonishing about Psalm 90 is the way Moses is so blunt, so hopeful, because he knows who God is. Uh, he's reflected on God's character. He's, he's chewing on the reality that God is God even long after Moses has gone from this planet. That we are like grass. Life keeps stripping things away, and yet you can find satisfaction. You can find joy. You can find a joy that keeps you afloat in trouble. So he prays, teach us to number our days that we might have a heart of wisdom. So, <laughs> sobering. But that, that's what this psalm is all about. It's, it's a wisdom psalm. That wisdom is always asking that question, how do I deal with reality? How do I live well in God's world? And so if we live in, because we live in God's world, the maker of heaven and earth, one of the ways... The only way to be wise, according to Moses, is to consider and meditate on the number of days you've been given. In verse 12, I mean, that's what it's, it's making clear. If you never talk about it, if you never think about it, only, except only at funerals, right? This is my job description. 
it's going to leave you foolish. Right? And to be a fool is to be know, immature, unequipped for the things that life's going to drag you through, that God's going to lead you through. Right? We'll be unequipped for the whiplash that'll happen. You'll think you're on the road to glory, and then all of a sudden comes a U-turn that you didn't plan for, and then all of a sudden you're trapped in a ditch for the next 10 years. A ditch you never signed up for. And so we need wisdom. How do we, how do we process life? Right? And, and I know what this looks like with the, the foolishness, not knowing how time works, not wanting to think about it, because we're parents <laughs> with a lot, of lo- a lot of young kids. Right? And if you spend any time with children, right, you can ask the kids what, if they like to wait. Right? Help us do this chore. It'll take you two minutes. Oh, that's forever. <laughs> right? or we, we have family coming this, this week, and, and so our kids have known for a couple of weeks, and every day, it's, is it time? Are we there yet? When's Christmas coming, by the way? And then they just start singing, and off they go. <laughs> Right? Because our kids have no concept of time and because they process time and experience time differently than us, they, they haven't numbered their days. They don't have that wisdom yet. Um, causes frustration, tears, anger. And so if we who are older, hopefully wiser, uh, are more aware of how the world works, experience time differently, then what about our relationship to our Heavenly Father who is of everlasting when he sees us frustrated, crying, angry. So the psalm is a gift. <laughs> it really is to help us think about how to process life. And so we're going to see three things in the text from God's perspective. We're going to see gr- that we're like grass. Right? Who are we? Uh, we're going to look at the character of God. Who is he? What is he like? And then we're going to end with beauty, which gives us hope for each, each day. Grass, God, and beauty. And so the first one's sobering, but we, we have to talk about it. Moses is, is meditating on, I mean, he uses a whole bunch of poetic images. But especially, I mean, that image of grass being here today, gone tomorrow, wilting. It's, it's a graphic image, that we're like grass living in the hot desert sun. You, you spring up as soon as the morning starts with great joy, and then by afternoon as the sun gets hot, it ages, it wilts, and it's gone. And that's what Moses is saying. Life is fleeting. It's constantly changing in unexpected ways, and it goes by fast. And this is one point where our modern secular culture and the Bible actually agree. You have one life. Use it wisely. YOLO. You only live once. Just, just look at the poetry again. When, you, when compared to everlasting, our l- entire life is not, like nothing more than a dream. It's one night's sleep. It describes time or years like a raging river, a flash flood that drags you downstream. And 70 or, years, 70 or 80 years later, should God be good enough to give you that amount of time, it ends with a sigh, an, exp- an expiration, which is a poetic way of we end like this. And then we see our Lord face to face. And so, as life changes quickly, how are you processing? <laughs> Being like grass. Does it make you angry? Afraid? Anxious? 
Right? I mean, the modern world doesn't camp out and meditate the way Moses does. We don't think of everlasting, we think of now. And right now is all that matters. And the pressure right now on all of us is immense, right? We have an, we have an election. And I've heard the speeches. If you choose poorly, everything is going to fall apart. <laughs> so choose our side. And that's not to ima- uh, in counting like the pressure on your job, on your family, and, and, and the relationships you have, right? You have one life, fill it with experiences, friendship, love, world travel, fun, children. Build yourself a legacy that continues. Right? Establish the work of your hands so that you, when you're gone, people will remember you. And as you do that, make sure you have enough money to make sure it happens. No pressure. why we get angry my life is not what i dreamed it would be or when you're when you hit 25 and you're starting to experience these things for the first time right you just get bombarded by fear or frustration right we're like the grass we can relate to walter Wright. walter white you know you get angry and i'm camping out here for a moment because frankly i mean the only times we really talk about it is at funerals. And then we go back to Monday. And my job our past, as a pastor, uh, the elders, is to prepare you for that day when you hit the bump in the road and you're stuck in a ditch for 10 years and we're able to talk about these things together. And so we've got to learn from Moses. He has wisdom to teach us. What is he doing? Look at, look at the text. It seems like this is a prayer at the end of Moses' life. He's seen a lot of things, right? 40, he tried to start a revolution, failed, that people didn't want to follow him. He was in the desert for till he was 40, until he was recruited to set God's people free from Egypt. And then there was another 40 years of wandering, futility, frustration. His life was not a straight line. <laughs> it was a winding journey. And it's quite possible, and I think it is, this is after the loss of... His brother, Aaron, after the loss of his sister, Miriam, it's, it's at the end of his life, Moses had, had said goodbye to those he loved. And he got cranky, <laughs> and he wasn't allowed into the promised land. Right? And so what Moses does, wh- wh- wherever he is at the end of his life when he prays this prayer and writes this down for, for God's people, he, he goes back to Genesis 1 to 3, and meditates on life as it is. Right? Psalm 90, especially verses 3 through 11, that's what it is. It's meditating on God's word, like the psalmist tells you to do. He's thinking about the curse, the fall. And so if you got your Bibles and you want to turn with me, look at Genesis 3.19. Verse 3, it says, "Return, God, you say, return, O man, to the dust, children of Adam. He's, he's referring to Genesis 3, and I know it's familiar, but It's helpful to see it again. And you remember the story. This is explaining why the world is so sad. Why we are fleeting. God in in the garden gave Adam and Eve the choice to trust God's wisdom, which is from everlasting, to trust God's parenting in their lives, to, to not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Of course, they chose to be independent, set up their own kingdom, and that's, that's when God said these things to Adam in verse 
in Genesis chapter 3, verse 17. And to Adam, God said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you, and pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Our dustiness, <laughs> that's what's lurking behind your anxiety, behind your fear, behind your anger, behind not getting what you want right now. The fact that we're created. We're made in the image of God as kings and queens. That's Genesis 1, to, to serve the Lord, to create, to build, to love, to fill the earth with good things, uh, to fill the earth with God's glory, to enjoy him to use our creativity. And instead of finding satisfaction in the work of our hands, we find frustration. Uh, we set up little kingdoms of our own, and, and like grass, those kingdoms don't last. Right? Can't get no satisfaction, says the song, because we're dust. And that's why Moses says so poignantly, we're brought to an end by your anger, by your wrath, we are dismayed. Verse 11, who in the world stops to think about these things? You are weird because you are here. Well, I guess I'm making you do this, but we're, we're thinking about this together right now. Who stops to think about God's anger and our mortality unless you have to? And so let's, let's go through Psalm 90 and be pastored by Moses. And the first thing you got to do is, is embrace your dustiness or embrace being the grass. He isn't bitter about it. He's not angry about it. He's just being brutally honest that life is like a dream. It feels like you're here. When you get to the end, it's going to feel just as fast. And the reason I'm saying you've got to embrace it is because our unrealistic expectations cause a lot of unnecessary misery. Right? I can deal with pain that I see coming. It's when I'm surprised by it that it hurts so much. It causes a lot more anger. We're like the grass. Second, notice how Moses connects death and anger. The death is unnatural. Do you see that? Right, he talks about our days and the days you have, and you need to number your days. I mean, that word days is repeated five times throughout the prayer. The middle one, which probably the most important, is right there, was teach us to number our days so that we might be wise, have a heart of wisdom, but verse 9, it says, All our days pass under God's wrath, and they end with a sigh. Which is telling you that death, which we know, but it's a consequence of sin in general. It's God's settled displeasure against the plague of our selfishness that infects every human being. And God mercifully doesn't let it go on forever. Right? Moses connects affliction and death to God's anger, his against evil, against harm. Right? So the assumption of Genesis and Psalm 90 is death is a consequence and a natural, an unnatural intrusion onto God's good world because of the work of Adam. Right? And so look at it, verse 3. 
God, you return, you turn man back to dust. Now look at how Moses switches gears towards the end of the psalm. This is where this, we're going to get to the good news eventually. He says, God, I want you to turn. Right? Undo the dust. Have mercy on your servants. How long do we have to wait? Have pity on us who are perishing the grass. Right? There's, a, there's a clear line there. And what is Moses asking God to return? Or to turn around, to change? He's saying, change from anger to pity. Give us your compassion. Maybe he's even thinking about resurrection. I don't know. But it seems like it. Right? I mean, this is just telling you that death is not how it ought to be, and you need that when you're feeling things that feel like they ought not to be this way. Right? Don't let anyone say, well, that's just the way it is. Stoically suck it up. C.S. Lewis has some pointed words for that, right? He says, don't let anyone talk such stupid nonsense. I'm being recorded, so I can't use the word he used. <laughs> right? when, when a Christian's confronted with cancer, with loss, with, with death, with anything wrong in nature, a secular person can say, if you only see it from another point of view, that's just the way things are. And he says, don't, don't talk about that. That's not, Christianity's a fighting religion. It thinks that God made the world. Out of that space-time, heat, cold, all the colors, all the good things you have, God made up out of his head, like a man makes up a story. But we also say a good many things have gone wrong with the world. The world that God has made, and God insists and insists very loudly and publicly on putting those things right again. See, Moses, right at the end, as he shifts gears here, I think he's praying that God would put right what Adam and Eve did wrong. Return us from the dust. Okay. Even as we talk about that, you can't, you can't ignore the, the haunting verses 7 and 8 where it says, we're brought to an end by your anger, we're, we're dismayed, we're terrified, we're anxious by your wrath. Our iniquities are before you, our secret sins are in the light of your presence. I mean, we're mortal, and God knows every nook and cranny of your life. I mean, it's, it's saying everything happens right in front of God's face. He sees even those things in the dark. He sees even things about you that you do not see and I do not see. Every careless word, every cruel outburst, every injustice that we protest and every injustice that we don't even know about is seen and known. This is scary. Right? I don't even know the damage I've caused simply because of my selfishness. Right, I want to nerd out with you for a second. Right? You remember Ray Bradbury's famous time travel story, The Butterfly Effect? Um, a guy goes back in time to hunt a T-Rex because what else would you do with time travel? <laughs> <laughs> we go shoot a dinosaur. Must be American. <laughs> but he goes back, and, and through a whole bunch of stuff, he panics, steps off the trail, steps on a butterfly, and when he comes back to the future, that one accidental mistake that he didn't plan for has changed everything. Which makes you wonder, what about that thing I'm doing now that I can't see? What effect does that have on God's world? And God says, I see that. 
So what do you do with that? Well, you can, you can drown in your guilt. And some of us do when we suffer. We, we take it personally, right? When life stinks, when you start to feel your dustiness, you're going to ask, what did I do to deserve this? Is God punishing me? What secret sin do I not know about? And so I want you to hear Moses' wisdom and how he talks generally. This is, God, this is Moses' wisdom and all over the Bible. He's just saying the reason everyone dies, the reason you lose, uh, it's God's justice for our iniquity, for our sinfulness, uh, for our internal bent, the fact that we're just like Adam. Right? It's, it's not saying in specifically that, that I can pick one thing that you did and this is God getting you back for it. Don't be like Job's friends. No, it's just saying, here's the world we live in. There's Adam, and there's the children of Adam, and we do what he did. And the consequence of that is it's, it's God in his justice saying, I don't want you to be stuck like you forever because I love you too much for you to stay the same. I want to heal what's wrong with the world, starting with the children of Adam. So don't be like Job's friends. Right? You remember Job's friends? He's suffering. And they say, you know, you look nice on the outside. You're beautiful. You're attractive. But secretly, you must be a jerk somewhere because God's out to punish you. Don't be like Job's friends. Don't be like his wife. Curse God and die. Right? She's very bitter about the... Right? She's lamenting. She's angry. Yeah. Why is this happening to me? Why is my life stink? One of the ways to answer this in general, right? This is a partial answer. We're like grass. We're receiving what happened centuries ago and active participants in it. It's the curse. This world has fallen. So, here we are. Grass that withers, that fades, perhaps angry, perhaps anxious, Wilting under God's just sentence of death, he knows us. And so we do what Moses does, relent, return, have mercy, have pity. Who is the God we're talking to? That's point two, right? If we're like the grass that withers, point two is who is this God? And this is where it gets comforting. Right? It's not all going to be a downer. I know, it's like, thanks, go back on vacation, Pastor. If we are like grass, what is God like? He's, he's our refuge, Moses says. He's our home. He's, a, he's been our dwelling place from generation to generation, uh, from everlasting to everlasting. You are God. He was there before us. He's here with us. He'll be there long after we're gone, and we'll be with him. From our home in every generation. This is, this is a psalm written for your children and your children's children. God is the same. So you think about all the change we've talked about, how life just, boom, in an instant, it's different. What you have as a believer, as a sure foundation, is the character of God. The fact that he's everlasting, that he's the same for every generation. The fact that he's the same, he was the same for Moses as he is for you. We just see more because we have Jesus. But he's the same person. And that's what's so comforting. 
that while everything else is swirling, you have this one place that will never change. It happens to be your home, your dwelling place, your God. You know how I feel. You have a really bad day. What you, what, where do you want to go? You just want to go home, sit on your couch, be with the people who know you and love you, and exhale. And part of what Moses is saying is that when you lose all that, you still have a home. You have a God who's eternal, who's everlasting. Right? If time is a raging flash flood, sweeping us downstream, we need something rooted, grounded, that's not changing, that's holding on to us, in the midst of all that, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. See, Moses begins this psalm celebrating that God is with us. That no matter what happens, you have a person, a home, a help to go to. And then he contemplates our, our mortality, and then he comes back to God's character again. Right? You notice that? It's in between who God is, is sandwiched us. It's like a hug. We're, we're stuck between his arms, his everlasting arms. Right? And so that's the point. If you're human, you're like grass, and God's anger is justified, he has not given up on his creation. Each generation, he's still the same, still pursuing with his steadfast love. He still wants to be our dwelling place. He will not let you go. Do you see that? That God, if he is from everlasting to everlasting, you are, present tense, God. He's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. One of the questions from the Westminster Shorter Catechism sums it up well. What is God? God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his being and who he is, in his wisdom, in his power, in his holiness, in his justice, and his goodness and his truth. As time rolls on like an ever-changing stream, God is the same, and this is, this is where you go. This is where you run. And that, that's, what, that's part of why I wanted to preach on this. As everything swirls around us to take some of the pressure off the right now, look at the world from God's perspective. He's still on his throne. He's still God. He's still pursuing sinners he, to give them refuge. Take a deep breath. 2020, this too shall pass. Right. Now, if God is everlasting, that's part of his character. The second, Moses knows that God is a God who turns. And that's the heart of his prayer, and that's where it ends. If you're following with me, these two things, we're like grass, angry, anxious, frustrated with our mortality. God is rightly angry with what we've done with our mortality. He knows everything, the good, the bad, the ugly. But what relieves the tension is Moses' prayer. God, turn and look at us. Have pity. It's not just have compassion, feel bad for us. A pity has to do with emotions. Do you see us? Will you weep for us? Will you see our afflictions and come down and do something about it? And so the tension is, what hope do we have if God's anger is everlasting? How can it be our help for years to come? Well, it's return, O Lord, Yahweh, the covenant God, 
God, remember who you are, the God who is overflowing with mercy. See, there's a switch in the psalm where it starts with God and Lord, right? He's big, he's he's high, he's, he's above us. And then when Moses says, have pity, weep, see our affliction, turn, he uses the word Yahweh, the God of the covenant, the God who saw Israel suffer and raised up Moses to set them free. Moses is praying, God, deliver us from slavery to death. Have pity. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love. Such a great prayer. No matter what happens, what you have to chew on every day to fill your gut, to fill your mind, that doesn't change, because as we heard earlier, from everlasting to everlasting is God's steadfast love, his character. And you remember the context. This is Moses. The end of his life. For 40 years he saw God satisfy the guts of his whining, grumbling people in the desert with manna from heaven. God fed them, despite their complaining, despite their whining, despite their not understanding God's timing, despite their childishness. And so Moses prays, satisfy us with your steadfast love. I mean, just chew on that. God fed them, even as they whined and complained. He, he, he got angry, he got frustrated with their grumbling for sure because they would say things, you know, Pharaoh was a better father than you. He gave us better food back, back when he was whipping us. <laughs> right. Day after day, grumbling, complaining, accusing, God fed them every morning. Why? Because his steadfast love, his covenant love, his mercy for his people that he swore and will not change his mind to bless. See, this is a God who's slow to anger, and his steadfast love is what gives us hope. Of course, the problem that Moses experienced that the God fed the people of Israel, and they refused to be satisfied by that steadfast love, which is why he has to pray this prayer. God kept providing. I mean, even when they hated Moses, they're ready to kill him. Even when Moses is ready to tap out, God, God kept him going. He was faithful. And so Moses prays, help us, himself included, be satisfied with your steadfast love. That's what we have to do. Just pause for a moment. Every morning, say, God, this is going to be a war for, for satisfaction. You've given me good things, but help me find my satisfaction in you in your present tense love for me. That's just as real as it was the day before and will be the next day because you don't change. It's my feelings that change. There's enough satisfaction in being loved by this God to say, make me glad for all my days, even the years I've seen trouble. How do you get it? And this is how the prayer ends. Right, if he says, turn, relent, have mercy, assuming we're under bondage, in bondage to death itself, the last part of the verse, verses 16 and 17, Moses prays, let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor and beauty of the Lord be upon us. Favor can be translated beauty. It goes one way or the other. You probably, the ESV has a little note in there. 
But let the beauty of the Lord be upon us and establish the work of our hands. Yes, establish the work of our hands. You know, after all that, thinking about our mortality, the anger, the anxiety, Moses says you can find satisfaction when you see God's work, you see his power, and you see his beauty, and that will make you steadfast. See, and that's what happens. This is what's going to help. Satisfaction comes from seeing God's work and seeing God work for us. That despite our troubles, God is not mad at us. He has relented. His favor is on us. He's for me. That's what this prayer is about. Like I said, that, the Hebrew word for favor I think has to do with beauty and delight. God, let your beauty, let your delight be upon us. And you can see that clearly in the Old Testament. That, that the prayers uh, help us see God's beauty, his power, his character, his work. You see his steadfast love. You see his patient mercy as he rescued a people who did not want to be rescued. He carried whiny, impatient, undeserving children of Israel from slavery, put up with them in the wilderness, <laughs> all the way to the promised land persevered through when they, they blew it in the promised land, went with them into exile. God is the same from generation to generation. The problem is God's people were not satisfied with God's character, with his work, with his beauty. So keep it simple. How do you know that God has had pity on you when you're feeling like grass, when you're feeling dusty? When you're angry, when you're anxious, when you're really feeling, ah, oh, this is not how things were supposed to be. We don't look to Moses as Christians, do we? We look to the better Moses, Jesus, where you see God's work, where you see his power, where you see beauty come together for us as sinners. And you know what emotion was most attributed to Jesus throughout the Gospels? Pity. It's like an answer to Moses' prayer. Compassion. That when Jesus saw children of Adam suffering, the emotion that welled up wasn't the, the anger that says, you deserve this, you're getting what comes to you. It was the softening of the eyes. You know, maybe tears welled up. Whatever it was, it was significant enough that all those who were there, it says when Jesus saw crowds, when he saw individuals, what bubbled out of Jesus in his heart was compassion. Right? He saw people without an eternal home, people not satisfied with the steadfast love of the Lord. He saw people, well, they're like sheep without a shepherd. What did he do about it? Well, how did Jesus react when he came into the presence of those who were feeling the curse of death, who felt abandoned and unloved in the moment? Well, here it was. Jesus, if you were there, my brother Lazarus wouldn't have died. Jesus, if you were here, if you really cared, you have the power if you showed up on time, if you worked on my timetable, this wouldn't have happened. We wouldn't have lost my brother. 
Lazarus wouldn't have died. It's John 11. How does Jesus respond? It's beautiful. Right? This, is, this is God's favor on these people. Martha, do you believe on the resurrection and the life? Do you believe that I will take the dust of the ground, you by name, and rise you up again on the last day? That all those who believe me will never die? She says, yes, I believe. What about Mary? Jesus deals with people in different ways as they process their grief and need to hear different things. Jesus sees Mary dismayed by God's wrath, feeling the curse, troubled. Jesus looks at her and just weeps with pity. Of course, everyone watching says, surely Jesus loved Lazarus. You can see that he loved this guy. Why didn't he just heal him like he healed everyone else? And Jesus goes to the tomb. He says, show me where Lazarus is laid, deeply moved by the suffering. He calls to the dust whose name is Lazarus and says, come out. And Lazarus, who's been dead, who, as they were worried, stinketh. Um, He walks out. And that word, deeply moved, is way too weak for the the feeling, the, the, the guttural response that Jesus has to be in the presence of dust. He snorts like an angry bull. He's deeply moved in spirit. The, the translators have a hard time saying Jesus was angry. But, what, but he's angry at death. That's the emotion that moves him to answer Moses' prayer. Turn, have pity. Undo death. And the beauty of grace is that by doing that wonderful deed, having pity, having compassion, stepping into that one person's life, Jesus signed his own death warrant. And the narrative of John, from that moment on, the chief priest who ought to have been most satisfied in God's love and God's work and seen the beauty and seen the power, they spat it out as if it were bitter and disgusting and they plotted to kill their creator. They put Jesus' body into the ground. Of course, three days later, Jesus rose from the dead, ascended into heaven to be our forever high priest. Forever he is made like the dust, like us, so that we might always have that everlasting welcome and home in heaven. See, that's beauty. There's a lot of different places we could go, but there's no more beautiful act than Jesus' death on the cross for sinners. It says, the abundance of steadfast love of the Lord overflows to give mercy. And that's the beauty and grace we're going to need to chew on. That's the, satis- that's the satisfaction we're looking for when you're feeling like grass to heal your anxiety and anger. Right? I mean, the, 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 psalm, the end of Psalm 90 is a beautiful contrast. We are perishable, but the glory and greatness and grace and beauty of what God does is from everlasting to everlasting. And the New Testament takes that prayer, give us joy for the day, and amps it up, right? That because we have Jesus, who is better than Moses, we have an eternal weight of glory that cannot be compared. That what you're going through is, from the perspective of eternity, a light momentary affliction, because joy unspeakable is coming. And that's the perspective we need when life stinks.
doesn't take it away, but it gives you something to find satisfaction each day. That God's not mad at me because of Jesus. Jesus took that away. And that one day God will say to you by name who trusted in Christ, return, O dust, to me, your eternal home. And when Jesus comes back and makes all things new, what's he going to do? This is going to be a worldwide resurrection as the dust rises from the earth to spend eternity with our Savior. So rather than run right now, let me ask you this. How are you processing? Where, where have you been running to for refuge these last weeks, months, years? Things that fade, things that disappoint. You can find joy in the day knowing that this is a gift. A gift I don't deserve and find satisfaction in, in the steadfast love of the Lord that is blood-bought and endures forever. He's our hope and our help for years to come, as, as Isaac Watts wrote long ago. There's our satisfaction. Uh, there's our peace. So maybe if you see a bumper sticker where someone else is winning, you'll react a little nicer than Walter. <laughs> Let's pray. Uh, Father God, we, uh, we thank you for the journey that you have taken us on this morning, that, that we, we have you, our eternal home, and that, that when you see us in our frailty, you know our frame, you know our sins, and you separate them from, as far from us as far as the east is from the west. And you're just intimately involved in our lives. And so I pray for us as a church, we would be a people who find great comfort in Jesus, resurrected, the resurrection and the life, that we would be a people who also know how to weep with those who weep, to rejoice with those who rejoice, that we would learn now, like Moses, to comfort those with the comfort we have received in our affliction. And so, Lord, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. We go forth now and ask for your Spirit's help to make that love ever-present and ever-real to our hearts and minds, and that people would see it in us and ask about you. In Jesus' name, amen.